Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Job. The book of Job. A father like Job. That's the title of this message. Stand as we read together from the book of Job. Scholars say that the book of Job, perhaps, is the oldest book in the Bible. predates Genesis. Unbelievable. Let's read these words together. Look with me. I'll be reading from the New English Translation. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He purchased 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in their house, each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would sin and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for the day that we remember fathers. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we share your word that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, giving us encouragement and giving us commitment. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. A little boy was asked about Father's Day, and uh, he said, well, it's kind of like Mother's Day, but you don't spend as much money. Uh, I thought that was a pretty accurate description now, this is a statistic from long ago. This came from the Bureau of Prisons. The greatest amount of long-distance calls are made on Mother's Day. And the greatest amount of collect calls are on Father's Day. Now, that's an amazing statistic. Bruce Howell, in his book, offers these things that I want to share with you this morning. Ten ways a parent can fail. These are positive and negative. We're going to look at them. One, have fights in front of your children, and when guests comes, turn around and be real affectionate to one another. That sends a kind of confusing message, doesn't it? All right. Are we supposed to have fights in front of our children? No. Secondly, it says stifle your children's questions by saying, don't bother me now, I am busy. I was doing a marriage conference, and at the end of the conference, I was doing a parenting model. And uh, I said some of the do's and don'ts you're supposed to do. Don't ever say to your child, because I said so. And then it wasn't a week after I did that conference, so one of my children asked me something, and I said, why do we have to do that? I said, because I said so. You know, we have to really be careful about consistency. Thirdly, take no interest in your children's friends. Let them run around with whomever they choose. 
don't want to do that, particularly in this day and time. Uh, now, I'll be honest with you, Rachel is here, my youngest daughter, and Leah's not. She's in the mountains uh, with her husband, but uh, they, they brought home some interesting friends through the years. I mean, from every walk of life. Uh, so we, ne- we never really had a prejudice, I don't think, in our home because, uh, you know, Rachel and, and Leah never had prejudices. They weren't brought up that way. And we just had all kinds of different people from all over the world. Before they were born, I had a man from Nigeria. We went to seminary together. His name was George Obadiah. And uh, George Obadiah came and spent the night with us, and we had dinner. And, and uh, uh, while we were having breakfast the next morning, he said, Brother, I said, Yes, George. He said, Why do you have no children? And I said, George, I don't know. It's been a long time. He said, Miss Carol. She said, yeah. He said, would you come over here? So Carol came over. He said, would y'all kneel here? Let me put my hands on you. And he prayed. Shortly thereafter, uh, Leo was born. And then he prayed again for us. And, and then we moved to one of Robbie's, Georgia. And then Rachel was born. And I called George Obadiah up and told him that was enough praying. <laughs> you know, uh, two is plenty. The fourth thing that we should never do is never discipline your children and try to use psychology instead. You know, discipline is very important. Now, I think uh, my child could bear me witness. I didn't bludgeon them at all. As a matter of fact, if they ever got a spanking, it was, a tr- it was just absolutely unbelievable. I gave them an opportunity to go upstairs and put on anything they wanted to put on. And they would always put on stuff and pad the rear end. And I had a Rick Rack paddle. You remember Rick Rack? And that's why, you know, pow, pow, you know, that was about it, you know. Uh, but it was just going through the process of discipline. And I, I think through their years, I didn't have to do that but one or two times. Fifthly, listen to this. Nag them about their schoolwork. Never uh, compliment them when uh, they make good or have achievements in their life. Uh, children are different, aren't they? Uh, like, for example, Rachel was always conscientious about her homework. She'd come home and line up her little dolls uh, when she'd go to school, and she'd put on her mother's high heels, and she'd go in and get a cup like it was a cup of coffee, and, and she would teach the children, and she'd do her homework. You know, uh, we had to hire a private detective to help Leah get her homework. You know, it was, it was just totally different. But you know what? Uh, they were always doing achievements, making good things, and doing good things. And uh, it's not wrong to brag on your children. Amen? And then, sixthly, demonstrate your love for them uh, with material things and give them everything their little hearts desire. That's not a real good thing to do, is it? How many of you are old as I am? And you say, well, Brother Ronnie, how old are you? I'm old. I'm before TV. Yeah. I'm before having telephones in the home. You know. Or do you remember when we went to high school, how many cars were on the parking lot? Huh? Nada. I told you, in high school I went to, we had two cars on the parking lot. One was Jimmy Pugh and one was Jimmy Knight. Jimmy Knight's car was held together by bailing wire. It was a 37 Chevrolet. 
Jimmy Pugh had a brand new car because his daddy owned a sawmill. It was just totally different. Have you ever gone by high school today and looked? Man, I've gone by and looked at cars and I've seen these. Uh, I saw a Ford uh, 4x4. And I'm looking at that thing like, man, I'm 106 years old. I ain't got one of them. Don't give your children everything, but do a, have, a, have a lot of fun. I mean, do the best you can. Seventhly, never discuss the facts of life with them. Instead, let them learn from their friends or in public media. You know, that is something that's some difficult to do. You need to talk about things like that. Uh, we, we had talks. I wrote letters. You know, we just have to understand that it's important to talk about real life. Uh, listen, one time we were at the table. Rachel was in, let's see, Leah was in the fourth grade. Rachel was in the second or third grade. Fifth grade. Rachel was in the second grade. And one of the little girls that used to ride the school bus couldn't ride it because she had gotten pregnant. And we were sitting there having that discussion at, at breakfast. And, and I remember this vividly. And I said, oh, wait a minute. Let me tell you all something. I said, you can't get pregnant if you're not married. I said, you just can't do that. You have to be married. Go all this. And, and I was just kidding with them, but seriously kidding. And I remember Rachel, a little thing, she always spoke up. She says, Daddy. I said, well, she said, you've got a lot to learn. <laughs> yeah. So you have to remember that it's very, 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 very important to have good conversations with your children and your grandchildren. We live in an age now where our grandchildren are coming back. Amen? And many grandparents are having to raise the grandchildren. All right, eighthly, Set a bad example so the children will not want to grow up and be like you. <laughs> you. You don't want to do that. Have you ever heard said, well, I don't want to be like my daddy. I don't want to be like my father. Uh, no, we don't want to do that. And then, uh, ninthly, absolutely refuse to believe it, even if uh, you told your children were done something wrong. That's a bad thing. Do you know when I went to school, listen, uh, I went back to speak at a convocation uh, at, our, at a grammar school I attended when I was a little boy. And uh, I was sitting at the table with the principal of the school and the uh, superintendent of the schools. And uh, the superintendent of the schools uh, followed me. And I remember talking to them about how important it was to uh, to do your schoolwork and read, write, and arithmetic and all that. And I did some funny things and told him some serious things. And then uh, after I finished, he got up and huge man in this huge baritone voice. And he said this. He said, well, when I was a little boy and I went to the principal's office, I was seriously in trouble. He said, to show you how times have changed, today... When you go to the office, the principal is in trouble. And do you know what? Let me tell you something. I want you to listen to me carefully, grandparents and parents. When your children are in the wrong, don't you come and make uh, someone else responsible for their wrongness. Uh, one of the things that happens so many times with teachers and, and discipline at schools is that we want to take the children's side we don't want to take the administration's side. Uh, 
And I tell you, that's not good. It's really not. You have to make sure uh, that you raise your children to understand and do what's right and what's wrong. But today, because of our fast-moving society, our children are not at home as much as they ought to be. And they're not at home uh, training them like they should. And so naturally, when you have an opportunity to look good, you come to the forefront and do things and say things that are not proper in those kinds of settings. So listen, uh, make sure that you don't do that. Now, lastly, listen to this. Let your children make their own choices in the matter of religion, and you don't want to influence them. Just be careful. Don't influence them in any way. Uh, that, that's kind of not good either. Uh, are you either going to be a parrot or you're not going to be a parrot, all right? And you need to raise your children up in the love and the admonition of the Lord. And you need to guide them in making decisions. Now, you don't make them make decisions, but you guide them in making the right decision. Uh, Rachel will tell you, and Leah, I didn't make them do things. They went to other people's churches, and they ventured out and do that. When I was a young boy, I did that too. I went to a Catholic church one time back in history, and it was all in Latin. I never kneeled so much in my life. And when it came time for the Eucharist, they wouldn't let me do it. But I was there with the group that I was with. And, and then after church, we went downstairs, and, and they had a fellowship for youth in a jukebox. We had the best time, and I said, I'm going to be a Catholic. I'm joining this church. you know. But I'm, I'm just telling you, it's not wrong to visit uh, and do things as they grow up. But you need to raise your children on a firm foundation. The Bible says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall become one. That presupposes that when you have children, that you're raising them in that same context, and when they leave your environment, you've prepared them to stand on their own. And that's a real responsibility. Dr. Bronson wrote this in Total Man. He said, for every positive word that most dads give their children, they say ten negative things. That's just not good. I had a man one time in a church bring a message. I never forgot it. He said, uh, dads and moms, he said, do the very best you can to put on your good finder glasses when you're talking to your children. Find something good. It's just so important that that takes place. Now, Job was a father that I think we all need to emulate, dads. When we begin to look at it and parse what we read here in the Scripture, I think you'll agree with me. If you look back at Job, let's look. First thing mentioned about Job is his character, the character of Job. The Bible says he was perfect and upright. Now, that word perfect does not simply mean that he never did anything wrong and that he lived a sinless life. That word perfect means that he had his head on straight and he had his heart right and he absolutely endeavored to do the right thing consistently. Now, don't you think that's a good uh, thing that we need to take seriously? He was a man who tried endeavoring in everything that he did uh, to do what was right. Man, listen, for a home to be what it should be, the father must know who he is and have his head on straight. It's so important. And secondly, look, the Bible said he was upright. That means he practiced honesty and integrity in all of his business dealings with his fellow man. 
Now, boy, that is really needed in our society today. In other words, when Job did something, he did it above board, never under the table. He, he never did anything wrong when it came to his business dealings. And the Scripture talks about that. Here's what's so interesting about Job and wanting to have a good character. is That's the first thing mentioned about him in the Bible. When we read about Job, the first thing that's connotated about him is his character. Let me ask you, when somebody mentions your name, what is the first thing that pops into their mind? What is the first thing that is connotated in that person's mind and heart when your name is mentioned? Wouldn't it be awesome if they, when my name was mentioned, they'd say, oh, Ronnie, yeah. You know, I don't care if they say he's got one brick missing and his driveway don't go all the way to the carport. You know, uh, that's all right. But I want them to know that I'm a man that loved God, loved my family, and, and tried to do the right thing. Now, that's so important. The Bible says that his everyday life revealed his character and his walk with God. And then the Bible says he feared God and eschewed evil or ran away from it. This is the secret of Job's physical and mental equilibrium. He absolutely had a relationship with God that was accompanied by his morality. Man, we need that today, don't we? He was just absolutely a man uh, who tried to do what was right. Proverbs fourteen sixteen says this, A wise man fears and departs from evil. The fear of God gives a man power to avoid evil. Proverbs sixteen six. And by fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. We need that today. We have so many things happening in our world today that it's mind-boggling. Uh, having directed one of the largest counseling centers in Atlanta for eight and a half years, and having been a pastor for almost 50 years now, uh, it has been amazing to me how I've seen the transition in family take place. And how the father seems to be abdicating his responsibilities. It's amazing. It really is. It's heartbreaking. Uh, it's just absolutely something that should not happen. God knew the character of Job, and he knows our character as well. Uh, father, can God say the same thing about you that he said about Job? Now, here's Job. Let me tell you something about Job. Bam! His character. He's a man that tries to do right in every walk of life. Now, secondly, let's look at the concern of Job. The first thing mentioned about Job is his character. The second thing is the concern of Job. And this reveals his character. Notice that all the possessions that were Job's. Man, he was a rich man, wasn't he? I'm talking thousands and thousands of stock and and servants, and man, I'm telling you, it's just amazing. As a matter of fact, the Bible goes on to say there was another person that even came close to Job in all that part of the world. He was a man with a lot of possessions. He was a very important man who possessed a lot of material things. Now, let me say something to you. It's not wrong uh, to have money. Amen? It's just not wrong to have money or to have a savings account or have a 401k. It's not wrong to have that. As a matter of fact, I was in a store roaming around the other day. I think it was in a Cracker Barrel. Y'all ever been in a Cracker Barrel? What did we ever do without Cracker Barrel? 
Anyway, there was a little plaque over there that said, money is not everything, but it's way ahead of what's in first place. You know, And I understood the facetiousness about that statement, but at the same time, the Bible doesn't say that it's wrong to have money or possessions. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. What does it tell you about money and possessions? It tells you not to what? Not to love it and put it first. Amen? Job had things in proper order. He really did. If you, When you think about it, go back with me and think about this just for a second. The first thing mentioned about Job is his character. The second thing mentioned about Job are his possessions. The third thing mentioned about Job are his family, you see? Now, when you think about that, go back and read it. Job's character, his relationship with God, his relationship with his family, and then his relationship with things. I think that's the way it ought to be, not the other way around. But sometimes we get things switched. Sometimes things become before family. And when you get confused like that and things become uh, so important in your life that you neglect your family, you're in serious trouble. That's not good. It's just really not. His relationship to family was second. His relationship to things was third. And I believe that God in the oldest book of the Bible is telling dads, your priorities ought to be like that. Your priorities ought to be relationship with me, uh, concerned about your character, and secondly, your relationship to your family. And then after that comes your things. I think that's in proper perspective, and that's in the order that God would have us to place them. And I don't believe they're there capriciously or or cursorily. I just believe that's the plan of God in the oldest book of the Bible. And we need to follow that. We need to follow that. I've counseled so many times with people who get that out of perspective. Uh, I've told people so many times, you can put so much emphasis on things till they'll get you. They really will. Uh, then you'll have too much month left at the end of your money. You see, then you start neglecting your family. Things can dominate your life. And that's why in Matthew, the Bible says, look, God knows you need these things, you know. And, and if you seek Him first, He's going to make sure you have your needs met, but not necessarily your wants. And so we have to understand, parents, we have to understand, Dad, that it's so important to have your priorities straight. Now, I know that sometimes when I've talked to young couples and and they're trying to make it and they're trying to get ahead, they're trying to do this and trying to do that, they start making excuses. Well, I'm working so hard. I have to do this. I have to do that, you know. Uh, And I understand that. There's always a tension there about striving for things and providing for your family. Uh, But then I come back to this question. Uh, Do you really need that? Or can you do it a different way? Uh, What about this? Or what about that? Making suggestions. I just believe it's so important that we pray and keep God first in our life. And then I pray, I believe it's so important for us to make sure that our family comes next. In that priority list. And incidentally, wife comes there. And then children. Amen. And then mother-in-law. You know. All right? Uh, you just have to be really careful that you don't put things above your family, in particular above your wife. It just don't work that way. 
Life gets really complicated when you do. So remember that. And I know you know that. You've probably experienced some of that. But it is so important to have your priorities straight. Then, lastly, listen to this. The compassion of Job. Here we go. The Bible says that uh, Job absolutely was concerned about his family. And he was so disturbed in his heart, he loved his children with the same intensity. And he offered burnt offerings for every one of them. And he prayed for them every day. Job was the kind of father that did not show partiality. And that's something that you really have to take seriously. Uh, Have you ever had families that you see where one child is elevated above another? It's just so frustrating. You see in family counseling, and this is the truth, the middle neglected child. You have the oldest child who gets all the attention. Then another child comes along, and man... You're trying to transfer some of that attention, and the baby comes along, and the baby gets all the attention, and the middle child is just forgotten. You say, well, do you remember Mary? Mary who? Oh, that's your middle child. You see, so Job reminds us in the oldest book in the Bible that you don't show partiality with your children. They're all different. Every child is different. And you have to treat them differently. You can't treat your children the exact same because they have differences. Does that make sense? Yes, they do. But you have to make sure that you're not partial to one above another. The Bible says Job made sure that he prayed for his children on a daily basis. And Job did that, the Bible says, continually. Continually. He didn't discriminate against their, uh, their life. He didn't discriminate against their character. Nothing. But Job was so sensitive about his children that he just absolutely uh, treated them with such respect and love. He was their father. And he didn't show any partiality. We can learn a lesson from Job. Listen to this. In conclusion, you, won't, you can write this down and, and it will sum up the whole thing. Job loved all of his children. Job provided for all of his children. And Job prayed for all of his children. And thus did Job continually. Continually. Isn't that neat? God is so direct. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't make us guess things. God, what should my priorities be? Oh, wait a minute. The oldest book in the Bible tells you that. And then Matthew tells you, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Amen? Notice what the Bible, Job says, here's your priorities. Your relationship with God, which is demonstrated in your character. Then your relationship with your family. And then your relationship with things and other. That's your priorities. That was laid out many, many millennia ago. (laughs) So, therefore, God help us. To be a dad like Job. Amen? I'm telling you, uh, every time I read this, I'm, I'm convicted. I'm even convinced that if you just do it God's way, something seriously wonderful will take place. It really will. Oh, I did this just for Rachel. She had never heard this. You ready? All right, I want to ask all the dads to stand up. Would you do that?
Walk a little plainer, Daddy, said a little child so frail. For I'm following in your footsteps, and I don't want to fail. Sometimes your steps are very plain, and sometimes they're hard to see. So walk a little plainer, Daddy, for you are leading me. I know that once you walked this way many years ago, and what you did along the way, I would really like to know. For sometimes I'm tempted, and I don't know what to do. So walk a little plainer, Daddy, for I must follow you. Now, when I'm all grown up, I'll have a child who will want to be like me. And, Dad, I want to teach my child to be brave and honest and true. So walk a little plainer, Daddy, for we must follow you. Father God, thank you for loving us and being such an awesome example And now, Father, I pray for every man standing. I pray, God, that you will bless us. You will infill us with your presence and your spirit. And help us, Heavenly Father, to walk through this life, leading our children in a positive path. Thank you for loving us and leading us through your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us so much that he gave himself for us took his life up again, that through him, not only would we have our sins forgiven, but we would have everlasting life. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being such a wonderful Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray God will use this message for his glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.